fair waved the golden corn in Canaan's pleasant land, when full of joy, some shining morn, went forth the reaper band. The 19th century English hymn of which this is the first verse and to which we shall return later, reflects one of the most ancient liturgical practices in the Hebrew scriptures, thanksgiving to God for the harvest in the form of a symbolic offering called the first fruits. The Old Testament's attitude about all offerings to God is summed up in the prayer of King Solomon at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own do we give thee. Everything belongs to God. The source of all fruitfulness is God. And everything we have, we receive from him as a gift. The appropriate response to God's gifts is gratitude and thanksgiving. In the Old Testament law, God's ownership of creation and its fruits is expressed symbolically in God's prior claim on the first of every kind of produce, whether of the field, the orchard, the flock, or the herd. The first fruits of the field were exactly that, the first of the wheat or barley to ripen. These first fruits were harvested and bound into a sheaf, taken to the holy place and waved before God in thanksgiving and as a sign that they were God's own. Returning to our hymn text, to God so good and great, their cheerful thanks they pour, then carry to his temple gate, the choicest of their store. Harvest Thanksgiving is an element of all three of the great festivals whose observance was required by the Old Testament law. In ancient Israel, the harvest of barley began in the spring around the time of Passover, which itself celebrates God's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. During the days of the Passover festival, on the first day after the Passover Sabbath, the first ripened sheaf of barley from the field was taken to the holy place and presented to God. This day was the festival of the first fruits, on which began the counting of seven weeks to the Feast of Weeks, later called Pentecost, when the wheat harvest began. Then on the first day of the wheat harvest, the first fruits of the field were presented once again as God's due, but this time in the form of flour, baked into cakes and waved before God as an offering of his own to him. And so from the feast of Passover and the first fruits of barley onto Pentecost and the first fruits of wheat, this great liturgical cycle of seven weeks enabled God's people to acknowledge God's dominion and generosity. The Feast of Weeks remains central to the practice of the Hebrew religious tradition to this day, now bound up with thanksgiving for God's great gift of the law to his people. Well, here in Northern Europe, the wheat harvest comes later than it does in the Middle East, generally in August. Our medieval forebears echoed the Old Testament Feast of Weeks in their custom for the start of the wheat harvest on the 1st of August, Lammas Day. Flour ground from the first fruits of the wheat was baked into a loaf and presented in church at the mass of the day, which came to be known as the loaf mass or Lammas. As in ancient Israel, the Lammas offering gave thanks to God for his gracious provision by giving back to God in the symbol of the loaf what was already his, the first fruits of the harvest. Well, today, as another August draws to a close, 
the readings appointed for us, give us what is for me one of the most beautiful passages in the whole of the New Testament from the first chapter of the Epistle of St. James. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we should become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. St. James presents the image of the first fruits, the first ripened sheaf of barley or wheat from the field, but this time as a metaphor for something else, specifically for us. We are the first fruits of the creation. What does St. James mean by this? Well, elsewhere in the New Testament, St. Paul uses the same image of the first fruits, and not principally to describe Christian people, but rather to describe Christ himself. In his famous defense of faith in the resurrection, St. Paul writes in the 15th chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians, now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but everyone in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. The significance of Christ's own resurrection day was well understood by the early Christians, and it lies behind St. Paul's use of the image of the first fruits here. Jesus was crucified at Passover. His body rested in the tomb on the Passover Sabbath. Early on the first day of the week, the women came to the tomb and found it empty. The, this first day of the week, the day after the Passover Sabbath, was the very day on which the first fruits of the barley harvest were being offered, the day of the first fruits on which the 49 days to the Feast of Weeks began to be counted. The day of Christ's resurrection for Christians, our Easter day, is now for us a festival of the first fruits in a new way. For Christ is himself the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead, the first fruits of the harvest of all God's loved restored humanity at the coming of his kingdom, when death will be no more and tears will be wiped away from every eye. Christ is the first fruits of God's new creation, when the world will be once again as God would have it be, when justice and mercy will be known upon earth, and nations will walk in the way of peace. Christ is the first fruits of our own new birth by the word of God, whose glory has been revealed in the self-giving love of Christ, who for us took the form of a servant and humbled himself even to death on a cross. Of all the books of the New Testament, the epistle of St. James is most concerned to emphasize the connection between our faith and trust in God's generosity towards us, and on the other hand, our response to his gracious love in the conduct of our actual human lives. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead, so teaches St. James. The way we live our lives, the way we treat other people really matters. And for St. James, 
a central quality of the faithful life is that generosity which reflects God's own. Love taking concrete form is the fruitfulness of God's harvest field. The generous Christian brother or sister is no less than the first fruits of God's new creation. Mercy triumphs over judgment, writes St. James. And again, St. James asks more specifically and pointedly, if a brother or sister is naked or lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? As this week, we in the West watch thousands of desperate people from Afghanistan landing at our airfields, bringing with them only what they can carry, seeking safety and refuge here in a foreign land. Perhaps we in our richly blessed society need to be especially ready to hear the challenge of St. James's question. Generosity towards others is the practical expression of the new life brought to birth in us by the Father of lights, from whom every good and perfect gift comes down. When we give freely of ourselves for the sake of others, we show who we truly are, and thus who God the Father truly is. St. James goes on to say, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law of liberty and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. Now, of course, St. James does not mean to say that even the most generous good works can take the place of faith. At the very heart of the New Testament's teaching about God is that God's love, mercy, and acceptance are offered to us freely as God's own generous gift, undeserving though we are. God's loving kindness is unconditionally given, and we do not have to earn it. Indeed, we never could deserve it, even if we tried. We love because he first loved us. St. Paul's constant teaching is that our growth in goodness and holiness is the consequence of our relationship with God, not its prerequisite. Our relationship with God is God's work and rests on God's gracious promise, not on our deserving. Yet as more and more deeply we know ourselves to be loved by God, we open ourselves to God's grace shaping our lives and the practical choices through which our true values are revealed. As the words of Jesus in today's gospel reading remind us, a person's external deeds flow from his or her inner character, who we really are formed more and more by the knowledge that we are loved by one who has given us everything. So we hope and pray that more and more, he would make us signs of who he is by making us more loving, more generous in the lives we lead and the choices we make. And so we return to the hymn with which we began. Fair waved the golden corn, is usually sung at harvest festivals in the autumn, and rightly so. 
But it seems to me the Reverend John Hampton Gurney had a wider frame of reference in mind when he wrote it, because the hymn is really not a thanksgiving for the harvest home, but a prayer for ourselves, not least for those at a younger age of life whose early offering of work and skill has yet to ripen fully into the generously fruitful life which is God's loving purpose for us. At whatever stage of our own lives, we may find ourselves singing or saying these words. May their prayer be fulfilled in us too. Like Israel, Lord, we give our earliest fruits to thee and pray that long as we shall live, we may thy children be. Thine is our youthful prime, our life and all its powers. Be with us in our morning time and bless our evening hours. In wisdom let us grow as years and strength are given, that we may serve thy church below and join thy saints in heaven. Amen.